Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Need Some Introduction. In today's episode, we will be discussing the latest episode of Apple TV's The After Party called Chloe. We will also be talking about the new show, also Apple TV, a new thriller, comedy, question mark, thriller? Big question mark to me on that. Yes, exactly. <laughs> dark, dark comedy, maybe. <laughs> yeah, very dark comedy. Maybe. Yes, I, <laughs> I agree, I agree. Uh, called Severance on uh, Apple Plus also. Before we get into all that, I did want to mention that Sona had found, and I want to make this as a public service announcement, uh, that Target, has this deal expired yet, Sona? Do you happen to know? No, I think it's, um, I didn't look at the fine print carefully, but I think it might be valid for several months, actually. Yeah, so everybody, if you have a Circle uh, Target Circle, whatever it's called, uh, yeah. membership, uh, or honestly, you may not even need this because I have simply ordered things online before, so you have to you know, create a, an account. And I simply logged in with this account and you get Apple Plus for free until July. So I am uh, using that deal. <laughs> so uh, I think everybody should. If you don't have currently have Apple Plus, then uh, here you go. Free Apple Plus for the next four or five months. And I do recommend everybody uh, take advantage of that deal. Just make sure to cancel it if you don't want to pay for it ongoing. Obviously, make sure you go into your subscriptions and your Apple devices and uh, to cancel subscription. It's very easy to cancel subscriptions, by the way. Definitely take care advantage of that deal. And I had no idea about it until someone mentioned it to me just this week. Target comes through again. <laughs> Thank you, Target. <laughs> Who could live without Target? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. exactly. Another reason they're better than Walmart. <laughs> yes. <laughs> please, please, Target, sponsor our show. <laughs> The other thing I want to mention is I did over the weekend just publish a solo episode. I was watching, had been watching Reacher casually, wasn't really into it. Uh, Kim's mother is very much into the Reacher novels, so she wanted me to watch it. And I started watching it, and then I kind of figured out exactly what was happening in the show within like two episodes. So I was just casually watching it. It's the type of show you can really just put on in the background and get through. And I don't even mean that in a derogatory way. But then simultaneously, Peacemaker on HBO Max with John Senna uh, wrapped up. And I thought it was very interesting, these parallels of the Reacher being this kind of this six foot five bodybuilder sized uh, guy who's like as smart as Sherlock Holmes and all in with this almost like stereotypical caricature of these type of macho uh, characters. And then simultaneously watching Peacemaker, where you have that character who believes that he is that character, but everybody else knows that he's a total buffoon and is like making fun of that very persona. So very interesting to see these kind of two sides of the coin and they wrapped up, you know, or were on the air at approximately the same time. And then just by chance, I had recommended to Sona, I know she's a fan of Mads Mikkelsen, I am. a film that had gotten very, very rave reviews and I had never watched it and was suddenly available on Hulu. So I checked it out and it's called Writers of Justice. And here we have again, He's this military guy. He believes that possibly his wife died as part of some kind of terroristic attack. And they start to explore this. And as they get into this story, they find out that everything they're assuming is wrong. And it's another real satire of these type of action movies. Anyway, really fascinating. These three things happening all at the same time in my mind. And I published an episode about that. And of those three, Sona, like I mentioned to you, I would highly recommend the Writers of Justice. Very funny and very like touching in this bizarre sort of way. Very, very good movie. Cool. Last thing we'll bring up is that next week, we're getting very close to the end of the After Party. We'll be watching the next week, uh, next episode of After Party, plus this thriller called No Exit, which I think may be right up Sona's alley on Hulu. 
So make sure to keep your eyes out for that. I believe it premieres on Thursday. So you'll have time to watch it before this next episode drops about a week from now. And I think that's what we'll be covering and possibly covering Severance. I will definitely be watching the next episode of Severance. I think we'll see how Sona's doing with it <laughs> based on this conversation because <laughs> I haven't gotten her feedback. Yet. But we will start things off. I, I have so many notes on Severance. So I think we should start off with I, the after party. I'm not surprised. <laughs> <laughs> It's very dense, very dense. So, yeah. And, uh, but we will start with something that's much, much less dense, which was this part episode of the after party. Anybody who wants to remain unspoiled on the after party, jump ahead to 20 minutes, let's say. I will preview my opinion here. As I took notes on it, I appreciated it more than I did in the moment. I really mm -hmm. didn't think it, I thought it was one of the weakest episodes, honestly. But uh, as I took notes on it, I realized that there's a lot of stuff happening here that is interesting. But what was your general opinion? I thought it was adorable. Uh, <laughs> okay. You had said to me that this is going to be an animated episode and I was dreading it. I am not big on animation. I find for some reason it has a sedative effect on me, like every time I <laughs> to watch Finding Nemo, I would fall asleep. Um, the same with that one uh, that everybody loved, Monsters, Inc. Uh, I mean, obviously, these are children's movies, so it's a little bit different. This was more in line with actually one animated series that I did love was Daria. So, um, and it kind of had a Daria feel to me. I thought it was brilliant. I really did. I think I, I might have enjoyed this the most of any episode so far. Oh, wow. Interesting. I love the dichotomy of like fun Chloe versus mm -hmm. yep. feet on the ground, grown up Chloe, and that idea of exploring what happens to that part of you when you've been pushing it down and not letting it live its life and yep. been doing all the responsible things and that doesn't work out for you. So why not let the fun side out and that internal struggle that you have? very traditionally shown as the angel on one shoulder and the devil on the other shoulder kind of thing. I thought this was really clever. I really, really liked it. This is very funny because this kind of goes to the point of like watching something when you're in the mood to watch it, to be honest with you. I watched these shows. They premiered on Apple Plus basically the night we were texting about this deal mm -hmm. that I noticed that all the episodes, and maybe this has always been the case and I just never noticed before, that the episodes are supposed to premiere on Friday. So I just assume it's available on Friday, but they're actually available on Thursday night. So mm -hmm. I watched everything on Thursday night because I had a free night. Mm -hmm. And what's so funny is that I did not really enjoy any of these shows, not fully, I would say. You know, I was interested, especially in Severance, but I was kind of didn't like any of this watch that I had this week. So then I rewatched, you know, over the course of the past couple of days, just casually as I'm taking notes. And I enjoyed them so much more the second time around. I was I, laughing out loud. <laughs> you know, Chloe is not my favorite character. Mm -hmm. I feel like we're supposed to be rooting for her in some way or relate yeah. to her in some way or fond of her in some way. I am not for whatever mm -hmm. that means. So to me, it really says a lot that I enjoyed this episode because between it being animated and me being not all that interested in her, I was kind of just thinking I was going to get through it. So maybe it was low expectations on my part too. I don't know. Yeah, so let's get let's get into it because I have some questions here, and you're, I think you're already touching on some of them that I that I wrote down as I was rewatching. So first of all, to everybody, uh, as soon as already mentioned, it's uh, an animated episode, and I think that was kind of my critique initially was that the style of this animation seemed a little like cheesy, like a little too lo-fi, uh, and I was mm -hmm. expecting something a little more. If they were really trying to do a genre 
mashup that they would do something a little more sophisticated. Even the cheapest animation now looks pretty sophisticated. But then mm-hmm. in rewatching it, it made me think about, no, this is, she's an artist. This is in the style of her artwork when she was a, a teenager, like the kind of someone who was good at art in high school, but not, you know, that sophisticated in, in their design, right? So, and it is in style with her art. So then I was like, okay, that made me appreciate it a little bit more. And like you already mentioned, I think that they used it very well, something I really didn't appreciate the first time around, but I do think that they took advantage of animation to show these different personas, which I thought was clever. You really couldn't do that with- A more realistic type of- Exactly, in a different genre, right? And uh, and there were some very funny scenes when she is, uh, you know, we see her, the animated self with her and her young Chloe, her wild Chloe <laughs> persona. And then we see her actually talking to herself in the, in the, during the interview. And, oh, that uh, was funny. I thought it was so clever. Yeah. And the alarmed expression on, uh, on the detective's face, Anna. right? Yeah. She says, is this something I should be concerned about? <laughs> but she and she, like and she says, having a psychotic break, right? So, right. Like fully dissociating from the other part of her personality. Right, exactly. <laughs> And then she goes, this is just a metaphor. <laughs> the next thing that happened in the episode that I thought was pretty funny is, you know, they're eavesdropping again. They, uh, Anik has busted in and left his phone behind so they can uh, eavesdrop. Mm-hmm. And uh, they have this issue with charging the phone. How many times are you like, you know, you're at a party and you need to charge mm-hmm. your phone. And uh, this whole thing was funny where they, first of all, can't, don't have a charger for uh, uh, Jasper's phone. And then, of course, they have they have each have one earbud in. So then they they can't uh, they have pairing issues. They can't look. independently. They have to travel around together. It's pretty cute. I agree. Very clever and um, very interesting how like woven throughout this show is the use of technology and all that Mm -hmm. it opens to find out. Another thing I like that they used for the animation is when the two Chloe's enter into the reunion and everybody does those puppy dog faces because they know that she's going through a divorce. Mm-hmm. And my, my favorite of all these interactions she has with these different, you know, people is some woman walks up to her and goes, "If my husband ever left me, I'd kill myself." But don't you do that? Yeah, you shouldn't. <laughs> exactly. But don't you do that? I'd kill myself, but don't do that. Oh, also, I, I think you would appreciate this. Also, in her animated sequence, we revisit Anik's failed karaoke. <laughs> yes, I loved it. I loved it. <laughs> that she pulled the plug i thought that was a a nice little bit of insight as well oh yeah that's right because we didn't know why the thing failed at the time right Right. exactly so she was the one who rescued him (laughs) next my next one is a question for you what is proper charger etiquette i thought 20 percent is the cutoff not 30 percent. you know that's so funny because in my head i would say 25 the second you get below 20 it's going to go to red right isn't that when it's red well you can it does go red but you also can activate low power mode Hmm, I've never done that in my oh, life. <laughs> this is my, all right, here's my PSA for everybody. No joke. I have traveled and I leave my phone on low power mode all the time. My, my rule of thumb for you guys. I have traveled where you get 20%, you turn on low power mode, your battery will last for hours and hours and hours. I've had my phone on one or 2% for hours at low power mode. It turns off every background process. Your phone is constantly working in the background, like checking for notifications, et cetera. And it basically turns all that stuff off. It just reduces the amount of pings it makes on the network. And it is, it, honestly, it'll last you hours on, on low power mode. So definitely activate low power mode. I'm okay. also yeah. a person that has a lot of anxiety related to not having enough battery as well as enough gas in the gas tank. <laughs> <laughs> so really, 
I start to get uncomfortable anywhere below 50%. <laughs> I can live with it up to 40, but after 40, I'm looking for a charger already. So I would never find myself in this situation. I just have to say. But I would also say that go to your power settings and just leave low power mode on all the time. All your anxiety would be, be relieved because you'll never get the 40%, never. Like you'll be at, like a, a full charge will last you multiple days, honestly. But what can't I do in low power mode? Nothing. It, it, everything still works. It just, for example, you, people don't even realize this, but when you're looking at your screen on your iPhone, for example, everything's in like has 3D, like the buttons are like raised. And even when you move the phone side to side, you may not notice this, but the background moves like it's 3D, like they're like as if it's layers, all that animation, all that stuff gets turned off. And it really like turned it like makes your battery run much, much faster. Hmm. I'm sorry, much, much longer. I take that back. Not faster. Yeah, it's a, it's a game changer. Good to know. Another PSA for everybody. Yes. We see, you already mentioned this, we discover some different sides of her personality. We see her little rage, Chloe. Mm -hmm. We see Stoner Zoe, right? And Stoner Zoe was the one who was having that romantic moment with Anik. And Mama Bear Zoe as well. And Mama Bear Zoe, right? Which turns up pretty soon thereafter, right? When she finds out that uh, her husband, her ex-husband has um, mm -hmm. brought the kid to the party. I did like Anik's uh, talking about how he likes escape rooms. He likes work making escape rooms because it makes you feel something, even if that's just hopeless. <laughs> <laughs> and in your and, and in the end, uh, everyone finds their way out, except for some of the Minnesota Vikings one time. I totally missed that. That's just <laughs> yeah, that was great. So then I think this is going to be uh important to the rest of the plot. They find a panic room, mm -hmm. Xavier's panic room. And it has its own monitors. And yeah, Jasper does a terrible job of trying to read people's lips. <laughs> but I assume there's audio recording in there as well. So this could be where we finally see what happened, what the murder actually was or was not. So I th do think this is going to play into the ending. There's no way that they're ne never going to mention the panic room again, which has cameras all over the house, right? That's a fair point. I hadn't thought about it. But yeah, that's a good point. And I do have a plot hole here that they go into the panic room, they lose the connection to the audio, and apparently, supposedly, the battery dies, and then they're able to jump back in and eavesdrop on the call. How is that possible? Who's answering the call on the other side? I did not uh, realize that the battery had died. I thought they had just lost the connection. Well, either way, right? I mean, unless, uh, you know, if you've ever dropped off of a conference call, you know, you have to dial back in. And usually, I mean, if you're literally just calling and not a phone obviously someone has to answer it it's just a dropped call otherwise and even if I, it's a conference you usually have to be brought joined back in again right i was thinking a bit more like when i'm on my phone and i get in the elevator and i just lose the person for the time i'm in the elevator but they're still there when i get out so there's just enough connection to keep you going yes you can't yeah. actually make out anything but the connection is still going but uh, anyway, this is a lot of talking about a, a comedy series, but I just think that that's a plot hole because I, I don't I don't know who reconnected that call afterwards. Yeah, interesting point. Detective, I forget his name, Culp, I think his name, that he uh, has basically called the head of detectives and is shutting down this uh, call, especially because he had already warned Danner that they were eavesdropping on her and she basically blew him off because she really is kind of committed to trying to unwrap this case. So he's like, okay, I'm going to go over your head and he's shut her down. Right? And that's basically where we get to by the end of the episode. We do find out a couple of important things here in the last uh, segment of the animation, which is that first of all, Anik pants himself when he threw up on himself. <laughs> which is terrible. Yes. <laughs> yes. I like, he's like, I'm going to finally play, perform this for you. And he vomits and he pants himself and that's it. Mm -hmm. So Chloe's the one who shot the crossbow. 
mm -hmm. into the poster. People thought that it was like some, you know, kind of act of anger towards uh, Xavier is an accident, complete accident. Zoe definitely wrote on Neek. <laughs> so we see her writing all over him. Yes. <laughs> oh, we find out that Jennifer too is the one who's been sending all those creepy texts to Chelsea. Yes. And one more comment is that even in this animated version of reality, Chelsea's hair is crazy. Like they've given this woman. Yeah. <laughs> they just make a big scribble on her head. That's her hair. That's it. I can relate. <laughs> so I have a question for you. Do you think this is even a murder? You think it might have been an accident? That's a good question. I think it could have been an accident. And I think they kind of were hinting at that yes. in this episode. I can't remember how or why. But I did get that impression somehow. That was the, I think it comes from the very end, right? Chloe's saying that in one way you put the facts together, any one of us could have killed him. In another way, nobody killed him. Nobody, right? Danner says, what do you mean? There's a dead body. But it makes me think that it might be an accident. And my second question to you is, if it was complete accident, if we find out, like we watched the video and he just slipped on something and fell over the side, no foul play, would you be satisfied with that? I think the show needs to give us something here at the end, don't you think? I will not be satis satisfied if it's an accident, for sure. But then again, this is a pretty lighthearted show. I don't think I would be as disappointed as I could be in a different context if it were an accident. I think I'd be more willing to accept it, even though I would prefer that one of these people be murderers. And there still is that crazy lady with the straight hair and the dark glasses frames that we don't know much about. Yes, exactly. So maybe they're just going to throw her in there in a type of murder she wrote ending. <laughs> it could be <laughs> a total murder she wrote ending. Out on their own with the clues we were given. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> It could be something like that, which once again, I would find disappointing. That, that is my qualm at this point is I would have an issue with them not doing anything at the end, right? Like anything in the genre of murder mystery, let's say. I mean, for only one episode left, they still have to explain what's happened to Jennifer. Well, there's two. So yeah, the next episode is Dana. Dana. So we see her background, backstory. Oh. And I don't know if it intersects with their backstory. She seems to be of a different generation. So I don't think that they went to right. together, but maybe not. And then the finale is the resolution to the story, which once again, giving a whole episode to this makes me feel that there is some mystery to be solved here. So I guess we'll have to wait and see. Because like the last episode being like, he slipped and fell. It's like, oh, well, okay. <laughs> not, much, <laughs> not much of an episode there. Slipped on a stray shrimp from the shrimp cocktail and... Exactly. <laughs> which is possible, which is definitely possible uh, scenario. Yeah, shellfish are slippery. <laughs> Hello, my name is Mark S. And I have, of my own free accord, elected to undergo the procedure known as severance. I give consent to sever my memories between my work life and my personal life. I acknowledge that once the procedure is complete, I will be unable to access my personal memories whilst on the severed floor. Say gratitude. Nor will I retain work memories. Hey. Sorry. When I return home at the end of the day. I make these statements freely. Do I know you? My name is Petey, I'm from work. So, we're friends? I'm your best friend. Nothing is what they say. I used to think it would take a monster to put someone in a place like that office. Especially if the person was himself. It 
you want to know what's going on down there, you'll find the beginning of a very long answer. What's happening? What is it we actually do here? Next, let's talk about Severance. So a little backstory here on this. This is a new show directed mostly. I think the first half of the season is directed by Ben Stiller, who's made quite a career of directing recently. And I've always been a fan of his directing. I mean, he directed Reality Bites. He directed Tropic Thunder, which I think is hilarious, by the way. If no one's ever seen that. It's great. Also directed uh, in on the darker side of things, uh, Escape at Dan Danamora with uh, Patricia Arquette also, which got a bunch of Emmy nominations a couple of years ago. And I don't know if you ever, did you ever see that, Sona? I, you know, it was always on my to-do list, to watch list, and I never actually got around to it. I mean, it's not comedic at all, but the tone is still a little off on it is my experience of it. However, the performances are incredible, like really great performances and very psychological to see the reason these people are doing some of the crazy things they're doing, especially the Patricia Arquette character, which I think she won an Emmy and she was just incredible in, in that show. So, and here she is again in this show with, with Stiller again directing. This is a show that had very few laugh lines, honestly, the first time I watched it. And then I rewatched it, had to rewatch it because I was kind of half asleep when I watched the first time around. So I rewatched it to take notes and I laughed a lot the second time around, I guess, because I wasn't trying to follow the plot or something. So I was able to just laugh at some of these well, very subtle jokes. Go ahead. There definitely is um, an office space type of feeling to it, yes. right? Mm -hmm. Of that drudgery of office life and cubicles and uh, office formalities and bureaucracy and all of that type of stuff. I, I would say it is a very, very dry yes. humor though. <laughs> extremely dry i would yeah absolutely this i think that's part of the reason that i didn't laugh about it this, until the second time around i saw some of these jokes i did like once again i'm reading everything as if it's important plot so i don't think i allowed myself to hear the jokes and the second time around when i'm kind of already have the gist of the plot and i'm just listening to their interactions i realize they're just jokes and they're funny jokes too but like you said so right. dry so dry they don't even read as jokes many times yes Millie, as i was watching it i thought I swear Victor told me this was a comedy. <laughs> <laughs> so I, it is a weird type of thing where I do agree with you. There is a lot that's funny there, but not in the way that you normally think of something as funny. Yes, <laughs> true. So a couple of things that I think I thought of immediately watching this, first of all, being John Malkovich, which I love and uh, definitely had a, a feeling of those Charlie Kaufman movies, Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind as well, but much more so being John Malkovich, especially being in this strange office space. But conceptually, there's a lot of eternal sunshine of the spotless mind yes. of a night. Right. Yes. Yeah, exactly. So there's a exactly right. And there's also a, a, a playing with format that reminds me of eternal sunshine of the spotless mind. As a matter of fact, there's mm -hmm. we'll get into it later. But there's a sequence when she runs in runs out of the hallway and she runs back into the hallway like that that she can only see half of her perception is very much something that feels like something out of eternal sunshine right yeah and the just the overall overarching concept yeah. uh there part of your history that you don't want to deal with and yeah. and being able to just conveniently block that out mm -hmm. uh here i think they take it a step further to say, you know, what if someone else benefits from you blocking that out? And so they can exploit that part of you that doesn't want to deal with that pain, which is very interesting. Yeah, I agree. 
all these existential concerns are all in Charlie Kaufman's um, screenplay. So if you're really a big fan of this and you haven't caught up on all these different Charlie Kaufman films, I may can't list them all, but being John Malkovich, Adaptation, um, The Eternal Sunshine, obviously, maybe his most popular work, but uh, very much so in line with his concerns, these kind of ideas of identity, very much explored here. And also all those films, by the way, all very, very dry humor. So another thing that kind of mm-hmm. overlaps here. Okay, so to get into the this, this story, there's so much, there's, it's so, even in rewatching it, it's so dense. <laughs> so let me so try much. to, let's try to break this down. Is this set in the 80s? That's what's weird about it, right? The style of it is very old technology, but I'm pretty sure this is present day. I'm pretty sure this is present day. But even the other people seem to be very 80s. The people that are entirely in the current world, like all the cars seem to be 80s. And I don't know, I'm struggling with it. You know, I, I just like some certainty on this. I wish they had given us some clarification. It might be purposeful. There's This is something in the genre recently where you make things that are out of time. They're either supposed to read them as alternate histories, or I think they're trying to not set things in a concrete time so that you can fill in the blanks yourself in a way. And there's been so many of this recently. It's kind of a motif, but I'll just mention one that that comes to mind right away. But if you ever saw the movie, It Follows, have you seen It Follows? I have. Yeah. It it Follows very much has the feeling of being in the 80s, right? Mm -hmm, It does. And then all of a sudden we see somebody like reading on this like clamshell device, like an Mm e-reader. And uh, so they do have cell phones and cellular technology, but it's not like an iPhone or something. So it's like, it was that, it was that device that existed in the early nineties or is this like, and I I think intentionally they don't want you to set it in a time, right? Here, there is someone with a flip phone. I mean, we'll get to, right. And so then that confused me because I convinced myself that it was in the eighties. And then that flip phone showed up, which is certainly, I mean, maybe exists in the current day, but was not, it has not been popular for a very long time. And then I just started thinking, and this is a tangent, about all of the things that people have to do to get around the idea of why didn't you just Google it? Right. (laughs) And wondering, you know, in order to tell stories, you kind of have to create a situation where someone could not have just Googled it. Right. One way or the other. I think it's important in a way to to bring this up because I think that they are intentionally, intentionally trying to obfuscate all that. You see these people seem like they are wearing different types of clothes, like the woman who we're going to talk about in a minute because she's like the first thing we see in the episode she is pretty stylish she's pretty contemporary looking adam scott's hair does not look very contemporary i also agree with that yes <laughs> but this some of the, the worst we've ever seen adam scott look. <laughs> yes i agree but at the same time given what we find out maybe he just hasn't cut his hair in a long time because right. some other people on the show don't look like they're as unkempt like in you know, the patricia arquette looks pretty styled yeah. for you know she she fits okay. into the current uh world at least her persona at work by the way not her persona outside but yeah. um right. and like you said we have the flip phone but for example that's a perfect example of the technology being uh off-putting i for example work in technology and i have worked in offices down in these old mainframes and the computers we're managing because these old companies that are 100 years old literally have mainframes from the 50s and 60s so the technology could look old that you might still be working on a mainframe mainframe screen like they are working here, even though it's contemporary times. I've been in that situation. And similarly, I know people who are so mistrustful of technology 
that even now flip phones are coming back into style, like as just a choice. But I know like 10 years ago, I worked with people who refused to use an iPhone because they're like, they're tracking me. I only use flip phones, right? So they're like total uh, cynics when it comes to technology, even though they work in technology. So it could just be something like that. Like, you know, there's no GPS on this phone, you know, something like that. Sure. So yeah, so all this is, I think, intentionally, you know, made to make us ask ourselves these questions. So I have a question right off the bat, which is, um, you know, at the very beginning, we see this woman, this actress, by the way, who was in High Maintenance, the most recent season of High Maintenance. That's the only thing I've ever seen her in. She was very good there. She had a return, recurring role, unlike most High Maintenance episodes. She actually is in a re relationship with the guy, the, the, our drug dealer guy in that show. So uh, she's in a bunch of episodes of that season. And I had honestly never seen her before. And I think she's very good here. Um, they brought it, you know, to, to be here as one of the main leads. I mean, if anything, she's our entry point to this world because Adam Scott being our main POV character really doesn't ask a lot of questions about this world he's in. And she asks a lot of questions about what's going on around her, right? Yes. And she wakes up laying down on a conference table. And apparently this is their regular process. I Like, wouldn't they have a bed or something? Why is this the process? This seems yeah. very bad. <laughs> this is a very bad introduction into this world, I would say. Yeah, I agree. And then she has to answer five questions, which she does not know the answer to at all. Mm -hmm. Except that they ask her if she knows the names of any states. And she doesn't know the name of Delaware. And she got a perfect score. <laughs> Apparently, yeah, saying Delaware is a perfect score. <laughs> <laughs> Little commentary about what's Mr. Egan's favorite breakfast. Yeah. What a weird question. How would I know that? And he says, I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> right. We see Adam Scott in his car. He's crying. This is the his Audi version of himself. So we find out later that the innies are their personas within. Mm -hmm. And uh, their Audi's versions of themselves are their versions outside. And his Audi version of himself is crying in the car. We find out why uh, yeah. later on as well. But I thought this was very interesting. He enters into, into work and he goes into the elevator and his, not only does his persona seem to change, his demeanor changes, the music changes, right? The music becomes very upbeat all of a sudden. And uh, we see him walking and it's as if he goes through a transformation, like as he walks down these meandering hallways and uh, he throws, he has a tissue in his hand. He's like, why is this tissue in my hand? He throws it in the garbage. Mm -hmm. He's wondering if he has allergies or if he's catching a cold. But of course it was him crying earlier. So that, I thought this is very interesting, this kind of change in demeanor. And I think this is the first time that, the first point in the episode where this metaphor starts to make sense because we've all had that experience. I'm sure when you're dealing with something at home and you go to work and then you put on your, you know, your work persona. And over the course of the day, you like forget about this other thing that was like on your mind earlier. Very true. Okay, we find out here that PD is missing. He hasn't shown up for work. And uh, they're, uh, this is very upsetting to Mark, Adam Scott's character, because they were best friends at work. And also because this isn't normal, right? They have, uh, and this is interesting, by the way, they have had people leave, scheduled to leave before. So, but it's all, you know, they have a ceremony and everything. It, this is not normal for someone to just not show up anymore and just be officially fired. And it, you know, it disturbs them, as you can imagine, because they don't know any version of this person outside of work. Right. They work in macro data refinement, which is something that's very strange, but we'll figure that out later. And, it, and that might be a, a, a metaphor for like the, the current state of uh, data management. And I'll get into that in more detail later. We meet Peggy, Patricia Arquette, who is Mark's boss, who basically tells him that he's a new manager uh, replacing PD. In this whole sequence, by the way, it's very interesting that she uh, says that the board is listening in, but they're always silent on, on the phone call. It's very creepy. Mm -hmm. And she's in a new office. So maybe she got promoted too? question mark. I'm not sure. Right. Good point. And then we find out that that sequence we saw at the beginning where that woman was freaking out. 
John Turturro, Irving, Irv, and Mark are the ones who are doing the intake. So this is actually the, the question that they asked. So we see this from the opposite perspective. Now, this happens many times, by the way, in this show, where you see the perspective of something only from one person's perspective, and then we see it only from another person's perspective. And this is one of the first times we see that happen. This whole thing goes badly. <laughs> <laughs> And then uh, Heli, who we find out the character's name, she like beans him in the head with a, a coffee cup and tries to escape. <laughs> I love that she's like in mid-question with him and just beans him with the, with the coffee cup. Good for her. Yeah. So then he breaks protocol and he says, you have to ask me one more time to leave. She does, which of course means that he gets to go to this really cool, visually, very interesting sequence that doesn't even make sense didn't make sense to me the first time i saw it and then of course in the second episode it makes perfect sense where she basically tries to escape by running down this hallway as soon as right. she exits the door she enters back into the hallway and she keeps doing this over and over again like three or four times at least that's her perce perception and then she finally comes back and meets up with adam scott again not mark's character the character mark he goes yeah no you left and you came back and she's like totally flummoxed by this uh, so she finally just kind of surrenders and she goes okay well let me just play along a little bit longer to see what happens and that's when they she meets with patricia arquette's character peggy and peggy gives her the video now once again why is the video the last thing this should be the very first <laughs> thing that they see excellent question <laughs> it's a terrible process a terrible vexing process Yes, that is a very good question. You made did this to yourself. Now, let me explain what happened to you. Instead of being like, let me ask you five random questions. Yeah. <laughs> you wake up in the conference table like, what, what is happening here? This is a very, very bad. I don't know who designed this process, but it's terrible, terrible process. I didn't pick up on this until the second time around. There's some religious overtones here to the show. So I wonder if this is going to be something if this is a cult or something somehow. And, uh, but we do see that Peggy says, this is the first time she makes a kind of reference to her mother and something religious. Her mother was very religious. And she told Peggy when she was younger that there's good news and bad news about hell. And by the way, this episode is called Good News About Hell. And uh, she said, the good news about hell is that hell doesn't exist. <laughs> the bad news about hell is that if people can think of something, they'll build it themselves. And Adam Scott it says, he doesn't understand that. And I don't really understand it either because Peggy's explanation is saying that these people can, that basically people are what makes hell. Like, so these people can mm -hmm. make this pleasurable or non-pleasurable. I assume mm -hmm. that's Peggy's interpretation of it, but you can also read this as being like, is he in hell? Is he in some version of hell? Mm -hmm. Once again, I don't mean like a true hell. I mean like, you know, this obviously man-made, but have they created a hell for some reason for these people? Right. So we find out some other things here. Mark starts to explain to, uh, Kelly, some of the rules here and mentions, first of all, that um, severance is irreversible. And that seems to not be the case by the end of this first episode, but then maybe it is the case by the end of the second episode. So we'll have to wait and see. Kelly says something very interesting. And this is the second time this becomes kind of a metaphor for work. Once again, our, 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 in our current lives, she says, so I have no choice like that. You know, basically we're just trapped here and we never see the sunlight again. And I have no choice. And he says to her, every time you find yourself here, You've made a choice. And I'm like, of course, because whoever's on the outside is showing up for work every day. So there is a choice being made, right? Maybe not by this version of the person, but definitely a choice being made, right? Mm -hmm. They could simply not show up and that would be fine, right? So. Your outside life, yeah. And then when he gets back to his car, he finds a note saying that he had, you know, this is a lie, obviously, that he had, uh, he slipped and cut his head and therefore they give him free dinner at Pip's Bar and Grill. <laughs> and Pip's Bar and Grill will be, will show up again soon. Yeah, he's a VIP. 
So then we see him. This is like a segmentation of the episode here. He comes back outside and we see that he has a very depressing home life. He basically just sits around in the dark and drinks. Mm-hmm. He gets told by Peggy earlier on saying, you look terrible. <laughs> Are you hungover? And uh, of course, he would have no idea if he was hungover or not because he doesn't have a memory of the night before. <laughs> but when we see him at home, uh, he probably is hungover because he drinks can sit continuously while he's home. Right. He lives alone, but his sister shows up. Oh, and he's also has uh, the, the first thing we this is interesting because it's going to pay off later. It's just that he's constantly arguing with his neighbor, Mrs. Selvig, about yeah. her using up all of his the space he has for his garbage because she puts out the garbage and the recycling at the same time. And he's like, no, you put all the garbage out one day. You put the recycling out the other day. Something that I talk to my wife about all the time, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> but he has this argument with Miss Selvig. And uh, this is when his uh, sister shows up and tells him, did you forget? So apparently her very strange husband, and I've seen this actor in something before. I have to remember where I've seen him before, but he's always very entertaining. And he always plays this type of character, by the way. But he's this kind of very uh, pseudo-intellectual type character. And he's trying to have a dinner without dinner. So he's having a dinner party, but with no dinner. They just drink water. (laughs) And apparently sister has invited him to this. She's pregnant. She's very pregnant, by the way. She's about to give birth. Part of this is that she's like, oh, you have to come with me to make this bearable. But of course, she also mentions that there's an anniversary coming up. And we suspect this is an anniversary of his wife's death. Is that what you get as well? Yeah. And then we have this very uncomfortable dinner party, which starts off ridiculous, where people are having these very highfalutin uh, pseudo-intellectual conversations, which I found very funny about this whole idea of saying, like, did you know that it was uncouth to call World War One World War One? You're supposed to call it the Great War. And he was a former historian. So they asked his perspective on it. And he goes, well, <laughs> when it happened, nobody knew it was World War One. You wouldn't know that until it was World War Two. So they're like, oh, of course. But I, I, I really love this kind of <laughs> these type of conversations that we probably all had in our lives where it's like very intellectual conversations that are kind of very dumb uh, under the surface. Mm-hmm. Some jokes are made at Mark's expense about his drinking and mentions that his father was probably an alcoholic. So his drinking might be something that is congenital. Like I mentioned before, we find out he was a, a, a history teacher. We found out his wife was also a teacher, like Russian literature, I think. Is that correct? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, and I haven't mentioned this before. The company they work for is called Lumen. From this conversation, we also find out that Lumen is like biotech. They used to be, they started off in the 1800s, apparently, as just being like skin solves and painkillers and stuff. And they have now transitioned into biotech. And one of these inventions they have, which I mean, I don't know if it's going to go mainstream or not considering the the contents of the show, but they have something that they're doing in the basement that is so secretive that first of all, they need historians, these people so it's interesting to see Mark's background being important to the job he does and that he obviously, his outside self, is much more aware of what the job might be. He's opted into this severance pro- process, which is what we're seeing here, where their personalities inside and outside of work are completely separate from each other. There's no shared memory between the two. There's no communication between the two. His brother-in-law, he doesn't actually tell these party goers about this. His brother-in-law is the one who tells them all that he's been severed, which of course is not something you probably want. Because apparently this is very controversial, right? In in this world. And the companions are suitably horrified by the news. They're also very curious though, right? Everybody seems to, like he goes on a date later on, which we'll we'll get to, but uh, that's all anybody wants to talk to him about, right? So I think that they are simultaneously curious but of course potentially horrified because i'm sure if you're not in this situation you're like well why would you do this to yourself and i think we've all been that circumstance where in someone's 
company would never say, well, why would anyone do that to themselves? That's so horrible. And then, of course, when they're there, they're like, oh, so tell me about it. How is it? You know, so. When he mentions that they stagger the arrivals and departure, yeah. the one lady is like, they stagger you? As if that's the worst part of this whole situation. Yeah, it's so crazy. <laughs> like, that's the worst part? Really? <laughs> I mean, practically speaking, it's like the World War One thing. Yes, this is only going to work if nobody sees each other. Yeah, obviously, if you can recognize each other every single day and you become friends outside of work, then there's a lot of risk, much more risk of you know what's happening because yeah. right? you can collaborate and figure out ways to potentially crack this code, which is probably what's going to happen over the course of the show. You know, then we see you know after this uncomfortable conversation, we see that he's he's either making a sandwich for himself or his sister is making a sandwich for him. I forget she basically imposes on him that he really should not leave he should stay there for the night and he does and this leads to a very funny scene by the way yeah, yeah very brooklyn hipster parent uh vibe there <laughs> the explanation of why there need to be three beds in a single room and they're making the sheets themselves and all very funny yes i'm making all the bed sheets myself so i won't finish with the big one for some time but the twin is comfortable, and the pajamas were made on a Baltic hand loom, so you'll sleep well. Thanks. I still don't quite get the three beds. Right. Oh, Rickon's colleague told us that switching out the beds as the child grows can wound that child. Irreparably. But if you provide said child with all of its beds upon birth, you allow it to progress across the room at its own rate. Got it. Yeah. This very much is like the kind of parenting books we read when we had our kid, where it's like, you know, they're talking about how, you know, the kids should raise themselves. I'm like, I, I, that's not my experience. I'm sorry. <laughs> so that night he sees um, something happen. He wakes up in the middle of the night. He goes outside and he sees a man in a suit uh, in the backyard. This is like a snowy outside. He's definitely not dressed for the elements. This is upstate New York, by the way. Again, in upstate New York, um, just like Escape from Denimora was shot up there. Escape at Denimora, by the way. So he sees this character. And we right away, I mean, this isn't even a spoiler at this moment. I pretty much was certain that this was Petey. And uh, that's exactly who it turned out to be. But think about that. Petey must have followed him to get to this place, right? He mm -hmm. must have been at his house and then followed him here. Because obviously he's not at his home. He's at his sister's place. Right. It's the weekend, actually. So we uh, see now Mark at Pips and Petey confronts him. And he gives him a card to to my to my favorite niece, I believe, something like that. Yes, and an apology for why the card is not appropriate. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Although I'm sure you would make a wonderful niece. <laughs> and uh, as they're leaving, uh, you know, uh, Mark is very skeptical of this whole interaction and says, "So you're my best friend." To which Petey responds, "I'm your best friend. You're my very good friend." That was I thought it was very funny. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so then, uh, and this is the we're at the very end now of episode one, and. Uh, when Mark gets back home, finally, we see that Mrs. Selvig is Patricia Arquette. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> yeah, dun, dun, dun. And a couple of questions here for you. First of all, is she putting on an accent here? There's a weird accent thing that's happening where she's drifting in and out of this accent. I found her voice very strange throughout this <laughs> couple of episodes. I am not sure what she's putting on when, but I, I found her cadence and her intonation very strange throughout this. Yeah, there's something very mannered in the way she talks. It's very yeah. weird. That's why I was had that question for you, because the first time I watched the show, I felt like she did not have an accent at work, but that she had an accent at home. And this is maybe just my reading of things. We'll, we'll see if this pans out this way. But now it seems like she has the accent at work, but she hides it mostly. And then she has the accent at, at home, 
but she pretty much leans into it more when she's in this personality, which makes me wonder if she is actually severed or... Uh, that was one of my big questions after these first couple of episodes yep. is whether is just living her normal life uh, with the knowledge of who around her is severed and who isn't. Right, exactly. Because they obviously know more. Like we see Milchik later on. Same question I have for Milchik, by the way. He obviously knows more than what's happening because he's, he's inside with them. But then he also is intercepting Heli, for example, when she escapes, you know, that there is a boundary, let's say, uh, that he can see the boundary. But is he also severed? Is, and is uh, Patricia Arquette's character, is, um, is Peggy also severed? All right. So the second episode is called Half Loop. And uh, we now see Heli doing her intake video, right? So we see her recording the video that gets played for her later on. Obviously very excited about having this job. So she does not seem to have any qualms at all, uh, obviously, as we would expect, because this is quite a commitment to make. So whatever project they're doing, they really believe in it enough to do this to themselves. Or see, they're yeah. so much pain in some other part of their life that they're anxious to do this. But yeah. Yeah, that's an interesting point, right? Because she seems to be enthusiastic about doing this on the principle of the project as to, like you mentioned, as opposed to um, Mark, who maybe did this intentionally to you know, right. allow himself to, I mean, this is something I forgot to mention in the first recap. He says, at least I don't have to deal with the paint eight hours of the day. And she says, well, forgetting it doesn't really mean you're dealing with it, which means you're forgetting right. it, right? So. Very good point. And of course, that's the other trade-off of this is that sure, even if he forgets about it at work, in our actual lives, and once again, if we're going to read this show as a metaphor, and I think that we have to, we've probably had that experience where, you know, you go into work and you forget your daily troubles, but there still is a memory of the two things, right? So you still can, you have that continuity, which obviously these people do not. So it's not even like he gets that break from thinking about this because he's going to be crying in his car. And then a second later, he'll be back in his car again, right? Like he doesn't get that break in his mind, right? So Yeah, they make that point about how it doesn't feel like they had a weekend because they have no recollection of doing anything on the weekend. Exactly. You know, there's nothing in between, right? It's, they don't have uh, any of those experiences or memories of them anyway. I mean, they might have some, you know, I, I don't even know how does that work when you're dreaming or something, right? Do you remember your dreams when you're inside of there or not? I, I don't know. I was wondering that too. And I was wondering that, the split is so thorough that it also has split your subconscious so that in your dreams, you right. can't any of the other part of your life. Or for example, John Tortura is falling asleep at his desk. You know, yep. there's no crossover even in your subconscious. It's an interesting question, I think. Honestly, this remains to be seen, but I think that that's what's interesting there because it, it probably is going to be questions that the show wants to address, which is like, what are you as a person? Can you actually segment yourself? And I think that's where things are going to break. I think that potentially the show is going to be about how you can have these segmented experiences, like memories, but segmenting those memories, like to your point, they're not going to change your subconscious. So like, let's say you find out something really terrible about the company outside, you don't have a recollection of that. So it doesn't come to me with work and it's like, it's still there, <laughs> you know, right. you're still going to have some dread or something inside of you because you still have that feeling. Right. So, and I think that's something that's going to be explored. And I think that's when you see John Turturro, like having this meltdown that obviously you can't segment things that saying like, well, if you don't have a memory of it, it doesn't exist. I'm like, I don't think that's how that works. <laughs> right? So Exactly. Oh, yeah. So a couple of interesting things here. So Heli, we see her, you know, enthusiastic. We see the procedure, you know, this pretty grisly procedure of this like pellet being put into the, the, the her core of her brain. Yes. And in, in a lot of detail, we saw that. <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly. Which reminds me of another film, which uh, I wouldn't recommend right now. It's called Possessor, which is a fascinating film, but <laughs> pretty rough watch. So I'll leave that to a much <laughs> to a, a another conversation, although it's a really fascinating film about Persona also. 
And then we see something very fun here, which we see the uh, opposite of her exits from that we saw from the first. So I thought this was great because even like I said, even the first episode, I was confused by what we were seeing, even though I thought it was visually clever. But then we see the actual physical thing happening, right? So as soon as she walks through that door, she goes into her other persona and that other persona wants to go back in, right? So it's this little tug of war between these two parts of her, <laughs> which I found very, like the way they illustrated that was really well done. Mm. Oh, and then it's interesting here. I mean, they obviously say this to her only because they want her to convince her to go back in. But they say that, you know, they're so impressed that they have her there. She's yeah. like a rare find or something. So it does make me curious to know, like, what's her background on the outside of the world that she is such an ideal recruit for whatever this job happens to be? Yes. And a lot of humor, too, in the job of you've got to identify the number that looks scary. <laughs> yes. This is very, very funny. I'm going to definitely accept it here because the both scenes are funny and we'll get into it. But when she pretends to find the scary number, it was very funny. Yeah. And then when she does find the scary number is very, very funny. Yes, I agree. So then after she decides to go back in that final time, we actually see the credits for the first time. No credits the first episode. We get credits here. And the credits are very disturbing, by the way. Mm -hmm. Basically, it's an animation of these two versions of Adam Scott's character. And at some points, like, you know, he's being swarmed by different versions of himself and stuff like that. It's very, very creepy. Having not seen them the first time. So when I finally saw them in episode two, I'm like, well, did, I, did that happen in episode one? I don't think I remember those credits from episode one. Same. <laughs> I think I already remembered. <laughs> oh, yeah. And then, like you mentioned, now this is her Innie again, and she's talking to Mark. And uh, Mark says, well, yeah, the weekend just passed. And she goes, I've only been here for eight hours. And he goes, well, actually, no, a whole weekend passed in between. And she goes, wait, I don't have any memory of that. Absolutely not. That's how this works. <laughs> and I did think about something, once again, drawing the parallels to this in our everyday lives. I've had the experience when I've gone on vacation for like three weeks. I remember that time we went to Portugal, actually. I was out there for a while. And by the end of the vacation, I literally remember being like, I can't imagine like logging into a conference call when I get home. I don't even remember what I do day to day in my job. Like you've basically completely disconnected from your work self. And then all of a sudden showing up for work. And by the middle of the morning, you are like right back into, you're back in the jargon, you're back in the flow, you're back in the meeting state, you're back in that persona again. And it's as if that three weeks of vacation has just collapsed down into nothing. Yep. <laughs> so it's very weird, but I guess that's probably the experience these people have continuously. Yep. So that's a, a place where I think this is metaphorically uh, rich. <laughs> Another thing I'm going to excerpt here in the audio, and uh, this actor's name, but the guy who plays Dylan who was on your show, you. He was his assistant at his bookshop. Yes. The thing I remember him from the most, by the way, is just one single episode of Succession where um, Roman is in training. <laughs> yeah. And he's like his buddy there. And he's only in that one episode of the show, but you know, very memorable. So I guess he's the type of guy who ends up getting work from these very memorable roles. You know, this is a pretty big role for him. So I don't know if he's uh, had a big role like this before. But anyway, very entertaining. And he has some of the funniest lines here. Uh, he's a stand-up comic, I think, originally. So that kind of speaks to his timing and such. But I did love when he's talking about all the incentives that you get. <laughs> and I do think that it's like, you know, this is very much, once again, corporate culture where people are so fixated. I knew people like this. I'm sure we've all had experiences like this, where there's someone in the office that they give you these little tchotchkes and stuff like as motivations that are so corny. It's like something like a holdover from grammar school. And uh, some people are so vested in this crap. And he's like, you know, you get a caricature of yourself. And I, he's got a lot of those because he's one of their best employees. Mm -hmm. But very important here, Helly mentions that, well, what about Mark's cube, that, that head, that glass yeah. crystal cube? And apparently that is not a regular incentive. Mark has done something so exceptional at some point that they gave him the special recognition. 
side comment. I'm not sure if it was in this episode or the next one about the erasers. They're nice to have, but we have no purpose for them because we don't use pencils or something like that, um, which is very all corporate culture type of thing of like, have you even thought this through? Why would anyone want this or need this? And this is where we find out that the job they have is that somehow this macro data, which once again, this is very funny, me working in technology, because this is the world we're going in with AI and things like that. They are looking at data sets, but those data sets aren't even explicit data anymore. They have been like pre-processed <laughs> and they literally are just digits on the screen and they have to look at these digits. And somehow there's some skill they have specifically, these people, where they can see these quote unquote scary numbers. And um, <laughs> and Helly has so many funny reactions to this. And the first one, she says, scary, what do you mean? Are they bloody? Do they chant? <laughs> some other interesting things here is that uh, she says, well, what if I just decide to quit? And he goes, well, you can quit by just not coming back. And he goes, but why would you want to quit? He says to her, uh, this is a mark at this point saying to her that if you quit you're basically killing this version of yourself which once again made me think about the decisions we make uh in our work lives because that is true right every time you change jobs you fundamentally we are fundamentally different people at home and in each one of these different personas we put on in our interactions in life so honestly unless you have a very very similar job to the one you had before that as soon as you exit one job and now you go into a new corporate culture and you meet new people and you have new job requirements, you really no longer are the person day to day that you were in that other job. Of course, we have memories, so we have continuity. <laughs> we, we don't actually kill that person off. But it is interesting to think about them as a separate person and how you were making a decision to end that part of your life. One thing that is really interesting to me about this idea of severing your personal and work life is, you know, we talk so much in our society now about work-life balance. Right. And, and I definitely have zero work-life balance. Listen, I could enforce better boundaries than I do. But the truth is, as I'm watching this show, my email is pinging and I'm checking and thinking, okay, let me add that to the to-do list. And litigators, at least, we work on things when we have time to work on them. And maybe during work hours, it may not be. And you don't want to forget to tell somebody something. So you'll just email it around at the time that it crosses your mind. And that might be at 3 a.m. It might be at 11 a.m. on a Saturday, whatever. What was really interesting to me, I guess, is the idea of being able to entirely split that into two different portions of your life, because I think that's how it used to be, right? Back yeah. mm -hmm. the earlier part of the 20th century and where it wasn't so easy to get in touch with us when we weren't in the office anyway. Probably before the BlackBerry, right? The BlackBerry was kind of what really broke yeah. that boundary initially. Yeah, I guess you could still bring home work with you, but it's right. not the same as interacting with other people who are telling you they need things and want things. Right, exactly. I feel like in that way, I I don't have too much of a separation. And maybe because, you know, I do a very specific thing in being a litigator. So it's not like my new job is going to be all that different from my old job. It's a different context, but the skills are the same. The work is the same. It's just a different context. I, I don't know how to say this in a way that's not in poor taste. Once at the beginning of the pandemic, my husband walked in on my conference call and heard me talking to case team that I was on about something. When I came out of the room afterwards, I don't know a nice way to say this, except he told me, you were talking like you have a penis. <laughs> <laughs> and so I thought like, no, to me, that was just me on a work call, but I right. guess and that was a different side of my personality that he had never seen, right. uh, which is weird because I, I feel like I'm pretty 
assertive in real life, in, in my personal life as well. But I guess the way it was coming across was something new to him. So to your point, I guess there are, as interwoven as I feel it is, there are certain parts of ourselves that only the work, our work life people know. Yeah, I think that's actually very interesting. Something I hadn't thought about here. I was purely reading this. My metaphor was different. I'd say, you know, I'm reading this as like you were saying, like, you know, this person you are at work, the person you are at home, how these things are so separated from each other. But you're right that technology, especially now post-pandemic, and I'm sure this was written before. I mean, this probably shot before the pandemic or at the beginning of it. So this was not, you know, pandemic in mind. But when you think about how the pandemic has forced everybody to like work from home and how our personal lives and work lives have just bled together now, literally have newscasters with their kids running around the background exactly. while they're doing the, the weather report, right? So it's like inevitable that these people's personal, personal lives are bleeding into their home lives. Like your husband had not seen you in that, that version of you, that persona, because persona, sona, because <laughs> you, um, he hadn't been in the company of that person before, but now right. that person is home. Right? So, <laughs> so that's interesting, right? Cause it's like, we're dealing with this, uh, forcing that person, those two worlds are colliding, but it's also interesting what you're describing. And maybe that's where this show almost fe feels set in time. This very much does feel like pre Blackberry. I remember when I started working in technology, that I had to carry a pager around in case of an emergency, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. So it was literally like you left the office and that day was over unless you got a pager, right? And then like when you got the page, you needed to get on the phone. And what was so funny is that we didn't even have the software installed on our home computers to be able to do all the work we needed to do in case of emergency. So really it was like getting on the phone and like talking someone down. And if it was mm -hmm. a true emergency, you had to come into the office to fix right. the problem, right? Honestly, my wife's in medicine and that's kind of like the, the world they live in. And they carry pagers around until very recently. Now they basically have an app called OnPage, which is a pager, even though it's <laughs> on their mobile device, right? So it's hilarious. But you know, some some of these processes are still extremely antiquated because they've been around for so long. So I think that it's interesting that the show is dealing with this in a very explicit way. And then what you're touching on, which I think is really interesting, that it's almost like that world doesn't exist anymore. So now what does happen when these personas have to interact with each other, right? Yes, exactly. Then back in the show, we see this very awkward team building exercise, which I thought was this is all that gets passed around. Yeah. I mean, talk about darkly funny. Yes. You know, I, it reminded me very much of all the times that I have been demanded to tell a fun fact about myself. Yes. Yes. And every time I think, why don't I just keep a, something in the notes app on my phone so that I have these fun facts as a go-to because... God, I hate having to give fun facts. I hate listening to everybody's fun facts. These facts are very rarely any fun. Yeah. And I, just, I can't stand the forced nature of the whole thing. And this is explicitly that. I mean, I lived in I, my most recent job. I, I worked at a, uh, a startup and we had do fun facts whenever a team member joined. But it wasn't only the team members fun facts. It was, you know, to introduce ourselves to them. So we had so much turnover in a, in a startup, like we were giving fun facts of each other about each other two or three times a week. It's like, I don't have that many fun facts. <laughs> <laughs> but I did find this very interesting that, you know, when she says, I don't know anything about myself, so I can't participate in this. Yes. And Mil Milchik says, oh, come on, like don't, uh, Milchik being this kind of facilitator who once again, breaches both sides. I've never seen this actor in anything before and he's very good because I'll just call it out now. I find it very fascinating that he is very kindly, very paternal, and still very menacing at the same time. It's a very interesting energy that he has. 
but he is once again doing exactly that where he goes oh come on heli for example like you are this tall which makes you the third <laughs> tallest person in our team right and it's this it's like a caricature of just how superficial these quote-unquote fun facts are and once again this idea that when you're at work you don't really want to talk about like this is what i do on the weekends this is who i'm married to this is how many kids i have like maybe your friends at work but you don't want to be public about all this information so you have to make everything so superficial and this is like the most obvious version of it because all they know is what's happened inside that office they don't know anything else mm -hmm. oh and we find out a couple of things here <laughs> supposedly they have the ability on these elevators and all the exits of the building to be able to identify any text or code, as they call it, any code that would leave the building. I do like, once again, Helly, very funny, getting these very dry, funny lines here in her frustration. She goes, first of all, she doesn't believe it. She thinks it's bullshit. And it, so, does. Yeah, <laughs> it does sound like bullshit, right? Yeah. She goes, well, what if I draw it like really squiggly lines, like those mm -hmm. robot tests? <laughs> mm -hmm. Would it still catch it? And of course, Mark tells her, don't try it. Uh, oh, but the second very important thing we learn here is that Mark admits to the fact that he hide, hid some pictures at the very beginning of the episode, by the way. He hid mm -hmm. pictures that had PD, and they were going to have the new team photographs that day. And he felt upset about PD just disappearing. So he had hidden those pictures, and that was not correct for protocol, apparently. Get out by printing out the portion of the office manual that says that that was improper and presenting it to Mark, which is also a very office space type of uh, feeling to me, that type of joke. Well, this is Irv, right? Yes. Uh, another very important thing we find out here, by the way, is that he said that for all they know, Petey is dead because you know he's no longer there and that's very upsetting to everybody. They said, well, why are you upset about this? Milchick says to them, Carol D left, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, they go, yeah, but Carol D, that was planned. And we saw a video from her outside her Audi, right? So mm -hmm. that's interesting because, yeah. so in other words, there is a way out. I mean, all you have to basically, your right. Audi just has to say, I want out and you're out. Right. So it's strange that these people are trapped there because their Audis don't care enough about them basically to, <laughs> to, to release them. So that's the first thing that's interesting. They're not truly trapped there if their Audis participate, you know, just basically ask for their uh, exit. And uh, the second thing that's interesting here is, once again, Milchik's stern, sometimes warm father figure, sometimes menacing character when he's telling Kelly, telling Helly, not getting the exercise correct, which is about to set her off. But before, that, before we get there, I do have a question for you, which is that he suggests that they all eat their melon, they get to have a little melon party, and then yeah. take a picture before the melon bloat kicks in. Is melon bloat yeah. a thing? <laughs> <laughs> Well, I guess um, maybe some water weight. There is a lot of water in melon. There is, true. And sugar, so that could make you bloat. Yeah, I mean, I personally, it seemed to just be honeydew and cantaloupe, which for me would be very disappointing. Maybe some watermelon in there, maybe throw, I know strawberries are not a melon, but maybe they could add a few strawberries. Uh, I would not be pers personally all that excited. Although maybe the work version of me loves melon. I don't know, it could happen. There's definitely when you're at work, because given whatever the, is available in the snack bar or whatever, yes. that there are things that I only ate at work. I wouldn't necessarily eat at home. Right. I remember once uh, we had a work celebration of some sort and there was a cheesecake and someone was very disappointed that when you say you're having cake, it shouldn't mean cheesecake. And I said, <laughs> well, any cake in a storm, right? Like <laughs> better than no cake. Right. So that is my point. Exactly. So maybe in this scenario, I would love honeydew. I don't know. <laughs> 
I do love cheesecake though, so I can't really go against that. Same, yeah. I mean, I don't have any complaint, but I actually would probably prefer cheesecake to say carrot cake, which to me is not even really a cake. All right, so then Helly, during the team picture, it's a little bit of like a um, Stepford Wives moment where she's like looking at everybody, smiling at the camera, and Miltrick mm-hmm. being like, smile everybody, and they're all laughing, and she's kind of like, okay, I, I need out, I need out. She writes, I quit. I believe on a piece uh, on a piece of paper and storms towards the elevator. Mm-hmm. And of course this, this supposed BS that the scanners can know when you've written something on paper, uh, apparently works. I don't know how this technology right. would work, but it does work. I don't either. <laughs> Mark rescues her by saying, Oh, she's my trainee. She didn't know. I forgot to tell her it's my bad. This is all on me, which means that Mark goes into the break room. And when she, he enters the break room, Pe- Peggy is there. And uh, we find out a little bit more about the break room by the end of the episode, but he goes into the break room and he has that experience. Like when he transitions, like when he's like, uh, it's like a, like a, like a TV signal cutting out that, that happens on the show multiple times. So when they, uh, or when they transition from one persona to the other, this happens. So they go into the break room. So my question is if he doesn't remember the break room, this version of it internally has a cutoff when he enters the break room. And then when he hears the audio recording later on of somebody in the break room, and I don't know if you know who that is, but we'll see if you if you do know that uh, when he hears a recording of the break room event, his Audi is not familiar with this either. So where do those memories go? How many of these segmentations do they have? I did not realize he was being segmented in the break room. So that's something that I didn't pick up on. I totally believe you, though. I just hadn't picked up on it myself. So the next thing when that moment happens, that weird cutout occurs, we see that he's on a date with uh, his sister's doula, right? Mm-hmm. And of course, they have some cursory conversation. He's getting drunk again, drinking like crazy. Mm-hmm. They try to have a regular conversation. He's not really paying attention to her, and she's not that interested in his conversation until she starts talking about severance, which, of course, is what all anybody wants to talk about. Mm-hmm. And she asks him some questions. We find out, for example, that all the housing is supplied by Lumen, which is not uncommon for some of these big corporate complexes. Right. Which also explains why. Peggy lives right next door to him. Things go badly. They run into some protesters, some teenagers who are protesting this like enslavement of these inner selves. But Mark does take a lot of offense to this. First of all, he's saying they're too young. They don't know what they're talking about and saying, how can you enslave somebody? How can you enslave yourself when you're the one who's making the decision yourself? So once again, that does open that question of, you know, what responsibility do you have to this part of yourself when we have the situation where we rationalize that time we spend at work because we have that continuity but if we didn't, like, what are we doing to that person, that version of ourselves that are trapped in there? Yeah. And as we're talking about it now, I'm thinking, you know, kind of just generally questions of bodily autonomy that we do deal with in real life. For example, uh, should people be allowed to sell their organs right. or, you know, something like that? You know, how much is a moral judgment that we are placing on other people that is taking away their right to do what they want with their own bodies? Yeah, this is a totally uh, separate uh, story, but it is interesting to consider. He actually brings it up here. He says to the to this protester that his past self was the one who brought him here. So did this past self like impose this on his future self? And that's actually a very interesting. Uh, it's actually a philosophical question that's been asked throughout time. This idea that, for example, imagine you drink too much when you're young and you party too much when you're young, and then when you're older, you have like liver cancer or something. So your previous version of yourself who does not have to deal with these consequences has done this to the future version of yourself. So it's almost like, what do you owe that future version of yourself and vice versa? You know, if we experience time at a different 
way, then, you know, imagine we could actually experience our whole lifetime at, at once that uh, you obviously would make very, very different decisions in your youth. Mm -hmm. He gets home. Miss Selvig is there. Mrs. Selvig, she brings him cookies. With chamomile in it. It was strange. Yes. And he makes this, he, he like says, oh, these are so good. But from his facial reaction, it looks like there's too much chamomile. And she knows they might be bad too. She's yeah. not. But chamomile is supposed to help you sleep, right? Is she just trying to knock him out? Maybe she's drugging him. Who knows? Maybe. It hadn't occurred to me until we were talking just now, but maybe. So she calls out the fact that, hey, that light bulb's not going to change itself. He's letting the house kind of get run down over time. And he does go into the garage after she leaves to find a replacement light bulb, which he finds instead is a candle made by Gemma. Is that mm -hmm. his wife? I assume his wife. Yes, they had mentioned her name earlier as well. Oh, they yeah. did. Okay. So mm -hmm. I always had a question mark as to whether Gemma was his wife or like whether he had yeah. a daughter or something, but that just confirms it. I was assuming just the wife. So by the way, going all the way back to that card he got from PD, PD said, if you want to know more, come to this address. So the next day on the way to work, he calls in sick. Does he call on his phone? So that's Bluetooth in the phone, right? I mean, in the car, right? What a good point. I had completely forgotten about that. Yeah, must be. Yeah, really interesting. Why are they all driving such old cars? <laughs> good question. Good question. But one possibility is that I know people who worked upstate New York for like Bausch and Lomb would live on campus for certain periods of time. They would have cars available. So I can imagine maybe, you know, if it's some economically depressed upstate New York town, it could be that the cars they lend out are not the newest cars. Maybe they're just giving out the oldest. They might have these maybe. cars in rotation for a long period of time. Possibly. Maybe They're really old though, but maybe I think it's intentional, by the way. I think it's a style choice, yeah. but it's, uh, but still it, it raises that question, I guess. What I thought was crazy is that given the setup of all of this, I would think that they are tracking him all the time some right. way. Right. So I thought the idea that he could just call in and there would be nobody verifying. Yeah, he really is homesick. I found that very unbelievable. I'd say, yes, it does seem that they probably are tracking him to some extent. I mean, as a matter of fact, we see Miss Selvig is uh, checking in on him just that night through her window. So maybe that is how they are having them snoop on each other, potentially. That's one way. But the other thing I was thinking is that maybe they don't need to because they are afraid of some kind of blowback if, you know, in, in uh, popular culture, if people have more questions about this. And it's possible People can police themselves in, you know, uh, trapping themselves by choice inside of this circumstance that maybe they don't need to. In other words, my point is maybe PD is the first time this system has actually failed, but, mm. uh, but it remains to be seen. Oh, so he calls in sick mm -hmm. and he goes and meets up with PD, who's staying in some greenhouse. Is that right? Behind some house. Like oh, but a lot of really interesting things happen at work, even though he's not there. First of all, we find out about this break room. Irv has some kind of episode. Mm-hmm. He's afraid of being having to be sent to the break room, but they say, well, before we send you to the break room, let's uh, have you check in with your with this counselor that they have. Mm -hmm. And before we even get to that, we find out that only one fifth of all of these files that they're processing ever get fire uh, get um, completed before they quote unquote expire. So that's interesting right. that this is like this is time boxed data somehow. And uh, we find out this is from Dylan once again we find out that their success rate was even lower until Mark had some kind of freshman fluke, they call it. So it was some kind of something that he did that earned them that reward. I'm assuming here that that's how he got that reward, but that he discovered something in this process. And that's why he, you know, that's why he got that reward. But maybe he hasn't been as high an achiever since then. So maybe that's why they're so curious about him. 
but you know this is all my suppositions at this point and dylan seems to be a little jealous of that just in his in his commentary here and this is right around the time it as this conversation is happening is when we see this very disturbing image from uh irv's point of view oh earlier on by the way we had seen that irv had dirt under his nails i just want to call that out because you know, this is obviously something that's happening when he's home, but that is curious to know what, what is happening outside of the house because we have not seen Irv outside of work. Correct. Maybe he's a gardener. It could be. Exactly. Oh, maybe he's a gardener. Oh, my goodness. The greenhouse. You think he's staying behind Irv's house? That would be interesting. Oh, shoot. I haven't thought of that. <laughs> just thought of it. I just thought of it now. So they, these, things might, these things might tie together, actually. So <laughs> Maybe. And then Irv gets sent for his wellness, wellness check. And then this is, I'm definitely going to excerpt this, by the way. This is when we have this funny sequence after Irv goes off to get checked up. Heli goes, oh, God, a four. Oh, God, a four. Don't fuck around. I told you, you'll understand when you see it, so just be patient. What even are these numbers? Like, do we even know what we're supposedly cleaning? My theory? The C. To see. Yeah, think about it. Okay, if our Audis are up there severing their brains, shit must have gotten pretty bad. Famine, plagues, etc. So what is a desperate humanity to do? Populate the sea? Populate the sea. But first, they gotta send probes down to the sea to clean up all the deadly eels and shit because we can't cohabitate with that. So we send the probes down, they send us the data coded, we sense what's eels, and then we tell the probes what to blow up. This is the leading theory? Now, Irv thinks we're cutting swear words out of movies. Which made me laugh so much because I'm just thinking, could you imagine that they're like, <laughs> that these people are like, you know, sacrificing their lives <laughs> for every movie curse words for movies? It seems a little extreme. It does. So then we see this is another very funny sequence for me, which I didn't laugh out loud about until the second time around. Once again, I must have been very tired. This is the end of the second episode, the first time I watched this. But uh, I laughed so much about this, this whole sequence. He goes to go to his wellness check and he's in the hallway and he sees a painting of, once again, another religious looking image. It looks like Moses or something, or maybe it's... um. Mm -hmm. or somebody but uh, anyway he's whipping a goat <laughs> and at this moment we see that christopher walken who's the head of optics and design walks out from his wellness check john torturo playing irv says oh i i miss this painting it used to be in the our you know the community room and uh, he goes oh it got moved here they go we thought it would it, it would be better here <laughs> to which irv goes yes i think it does work better here it's very calming <laughs> <laughs> a, a goat being whipped is a very very calming image <laughs> maybe but maybe that says something about their personas and then uh, christopher walken says oh he didn't want to take credit for it he goes we don't paint them we just hang them up <laughs> right. and uh he goes you know most people only get excited not by their paintings that they hang up but only by the tote bags that they design so this guy's in charge of like all the you know the swag and stuff around the, the building as well and uh, irv of course is a big fan of the tote bags as well <laughs> so that's uh, apparently looking forward to that but the really funny sequence, that was a little bit of funny. The really thing that made me laugh the most is when he goes into his wellness check. Your Audi is generous. Your Audi is fond of music and owns many records. Your Audi is a friend to children and to the elderly and the insane. 
your Audi is strong and helps someone lift a heavy object. Your Audi attends many dances and is popular among the other attendees. Your Audi likes films and owns a machine that can play them. Your Audi is splendid and can swim gracefully and well. <laughs> I'm sorry. Please try to enjoy each fact equally and not show preference for any over the others. That's 10 points off. You have 90 points remaining. Points? Please don't speak. Points? Him <laughs> <laughs> just saying points the way he said points made me laugh. I was so shocked by the fact that they were deducting points for this experience. <laughs> please don't speak. <laughs> as soon as he says points, she goes, please don't speak. Oh boy, this whole thing made me laugh a lot. Crazy. So crazy. Then we see Dylan is getting some snacks, which I, you know, these are just a little details, but I, I want to include them because it's just speaks to how well, um, how much detail they put into this world. He, mm -hmm. they buy snacks with tokens. They don't actually have money and they're supposed to on their honor. Duper person. <laughs> Duper person. That's right. And then uh, Irv returns and he says, oh, we had a great experience. And uh, he says he met Bert, which is mm -hmm. Christopher Walken's character. And I love uh, Dylan's responses. Bert's a fuck. You didn't tell him where we are, did you? <laughs> and Irv's response to this is, Bert is not a fuck. Right. And he goes, don't act like you care about this department. You just want your waffle party. <laughs> uh, and at this moment is when Helly finds her first scary numbers. This is a great, yeah. this is great also. <laughs> okay, don't do it. Hey, guys. Lumen has been good to us and it is feckless that yep why is why is it uh you okay just fence off the bad data like i showed you can you see the perimeter and bin it Find. All right, Helly. Hip hip. They were scary. The numbers were scary. And then she, her reaction when they walk away and they go, Good job. She's like, Those numbers, they were scary. Yeah. <laughs> they were scary. <laughs> and then we get to the end of the episode. We find out, you know, this is still the end of that day off. We find out that Petey's staying with Mark. We see um, Peggy looking through the window she doesn't see anybody but she sees the light on so it remains to be seen if she knows he's there we don't know that she knows basically mm -hmm. once again to ask the question is selvig and peggy are they not are they Se separated right or severed but if she's not then she knows something going on right and then we end on um a very disturbing image where yes pd is in the shower the phone starts ringing and this seems to activate maybe because of you know, maybe there's some signal cross current or something seems to activate the device in his head. So this deseverance has not gone smoothly. And he even says that he goes, I'm the first one. He goes, I have severance disease earlier on. And he says that I'm the first one to experience it, <laughs> basically. Mm -hmm. So apparently this is not common at all. 
but this whole sequence is very interesting because, and once again, speaks to like almost like something out of Eternal Sunshine and Spotless Mind as well, where, you know, you see Jim Carrey's character walking through his memories because he suddenly is having this episode at the, and talking to Mark through the door. And then he looks in the mirror and he sees another version of himself already right. inside the shower, right? So it's very discombobulating, obviously. And that's how we end things uh, heading into next week. I am intrigued. Yes. And I would say what's interesting, as long as these episodes are, is that this is such, these are long episodes. They are not rushing at all. They are taking things very slowly. If anything, these episodes easily could have been 10 or 15 minutes shorter. They choose to make them long. Every scene kind of is long intentionally. But I wanted to see another episode, not necessarily because I'm like, oh, I'm on the edge of my seat, because I'm just so intrigued. I'm like, what happens next? Like, where are they going with this? Right. Exactly. I agree. So I'm glad you liked it. I did. I honestly wasn't 100 percent sure whether you'd be on board with this because it's a little too out there. Yeah, it's basically at the limits, I think, of where I can be with this type of show. But I see a lot of different possibilities for where it could be going. I guess depending on how those possibilities develop, I may decide it was more than I bargained for. But for right now, I am very intrigued to see where it goes. This is, I don't know if this is going to scare you off or not from the show, but this show is intended to have a second season. They haven't officially gotten the green light yet, but it's intended to have a second season. But what I would say about that is that critics have seen the entire show and mm-hmm. it's not like they get to the end, you know, it's like lost or something where it's just like another big mystery for next season. Right. The reviews are saying that, that I've read um, just cursory have said that the ending of this season, the finale, the last couple episodes are edge of your seat, terrifying. There's a def- definite conclusion to this season. Okay. Well, that's good to know. Yeah, that definitely makes me more interested to keep going. If I had thought like, you know, they had no plan and this thing at the end, like kind of like lost where they're like, you know, they get to the end and then they're just like. Starting out as they go type of feeling. Yeah. Right. But even when you think about season one of Lost, which I really did love, by the time they get to the end, they're like, we have to find out what's inside that bunker. And it's like, that's not the mystery. (laughs) Tune in (laughs) next year, you know, so. Yeah. (laughs) Very much on board with this. Uh, Yeah, that wraps it up for this. And I am very interested to see what happens next. We will be covering the next episode of after party we're very close to the end now i do think we will be covering another episode of severance and time permitting <laughs> uh sona will try to watch that no exit uh movie as well but we'll be covering those next week cool make sure you subscribe so you know when these episodes become available and we'll talk to you soon talk to you soon <laughs> bye Fell asleep amid the flowers For a couple of hours On a beautiful day Daydream I dream of you amid the flowers For a couple of hours Such a beautiful day